Okay, take your Bible now, please, with me, and go to Romans chapter 13, if you will. Romans 13. You know, I appreciate the wonderful musical program you all have here. I love music. The problem is, I don't know a note of music. Uh, when I first got saved in West Virginia, my mother and I uh, could not get enough of the Bible, and so we'd go to all kind of revival meetings and any service to hear the Word of God preached like a sponge. And um, so one night, my mom and I went to this revival meeting, and the pastor walked up to me, and he said, Hey, young man. I was only 17 years of age. He said, Hey, young man. I heard you got saved recently. Is that so? I said, Yes, sir. I got saved. He said, Well, would you be willing to sing a solo for the Lord Jesus tonight? <laughs> I said, Yes, sir, I will. And so I love that song. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And when I got to the course, I sang it like this. Floods of joy on my soul, like the sea, pillows roll. And my mother was bent over in laughter. And I thought, why is mom laughing so loud? And so I got the next stanza, and I even sang it louder. I got the chorus, and I said, floods of joy on my soul, like the sea, pillows roll. And oh, my mom, she was almost on the floor. So I sat down beside her and I said, Mom, why were you laughing so hard at me? She said, Jerry, it's not sea pillows, it's sea billows. I said, what's the difference? At that time I was saying West Virginia, I didn't know nothing. And I didn't know nothing. But I love good music. It's, it's, it's a blessing. It's, it's a, a means of edification and a, a great encouragement for your life. Amen. Well, uh, we taught you the verse this morning of 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 that says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And so I'd like to have you all right now uh, to uh, get your Bibles open. Why don't you all stand? And when you stand, I, w- I want you to really now... Since you can, you can speak a lot louder when you are standing up, okay? You're hindered by that big meal you had at supper tonight, okay? So I'm going to quote it one more time. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, okay? Let's say it all good and loud. Here we go. First Peter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And he does care for you. And I tell you, students, as you go through this year of school, uh, you're going to find when you have these, these great burdens, you cast all your care upon him. And I guarantee you, on the authority of the word of God, he will take care of you. And I trust that will be a help to your life. Tonight, I want to bring a message on a spiritual awakening. Traveling like I do nationwide, I'm often asked the question, well, Brother Jerry, what do you think uh, is the main, main thing you observe across our country in our local churches? And I have a one-word answer. One-word answer. I say, apathy. Apathy. It seemed like there's such a 
apathy among God's people. The night, I pray God to use the message, make us see some great truths from the Word of God. Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 12. And then none the time, that now is our time to wake out of sleep. For now is your salvation nearer than when you believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Dear Father, I need your help. I need your help, Father. We need, Father, to see the Spirit of God take your powerful word and help us to see the truth of it, to strengthen, edify, challenge, convict thy people and bring anyone to Christ who does not know our Savior. We ask in Christ's name, amen. You be seated. I believe tonight, when we see the condition of America, it's best summed up by the Word of God. 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Matthew 24, 12, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And it seemed tonight, we're finding such a spiritual indifference and apathy to the things of God. And since that's so, there really is a need of a genuine awakening in our lives. Now look at me, nothing put on, not mere froth, not based on the emotion, but based on the Word of God, led by the Spirit of God. And that known the time, that now is our time to wake out of sleep. And so God needs to awaken His people. But what must He awaken us to? Well, first of all, I believe the Word of God teaches us He needs to awaken us to the indifference of our praying. In Mark 1.35, the Bible says of Christ, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out into a solitary place and there prayed. Observe, our Lord got alone and he prayed. In like fashion, the Bible tells you in Matthew 6 and verse 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closets, and when thou shut thy door, Pray that thy father was in secrets. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Here the word of God says he wants us to get alone and seek his face in prayer. You know what? It's just like many of God's people don't realize how anxious God is to meet the most minute, minute or the greatest need in our lives. Years ago, I met the man who worked with Dr. Papareville, who ran the Evansville Rescue Mission in uh, Evansville, Indiana. And Dr. Papareville was known for his prayer life, an unusual man of God, a man that God greatly used. And um, he was known for his prayer life. And you know, he had a, a little old wagon out in the field. And he'd go out there and he would pray. And oh, God did great things, said the man of God. 
But um, one day, Dr. Papreville was not aware that this man that told me the story was in the room, one, a certain part of the room. Dr. Reville walked in. He sat down in a chair. He looked up in the air, and he prayed this prayer to God. Lord, I need $250 today. And I'm not leaving this spot right here until you bring it to me. He said, I never heard a man pray like that. I said, who on earth does he think he is? Does he expect God to bring him that money today? And so he said, I just watched him and, and, and I was real quiet. He was not where I was there. He looked at his watch and said, Lord, now, Lord, you're wasting my time. And you're wasting your time. Now, Lord, send me the money. And he said, I could not believe it. A man talking like that to God. And so I stood there, and all of a sudden, the door flung open. And walked a man. He said, are you Dr. Reveal? He said, yes, I am. He said, sir, you don't know me. I'm just a Christian businessman passing through your town. And I know of your ministry. And no, I stopped by because I felt prompted of God to give you this check for $250. And handed a check for $250 to him. And that man who was in the side room said, on the side of the room, he said, Jerry, I saw Dr. Reveal take that check, look at it. And then he did this. He began to wave it toward heaven and said, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I knew you were going to do it all the time. Here's a man who prayed and believed that God would answer. The average child of God has put the handcuff of doubts, the handcuff of unbelief on the hands of an omnipotent God who stands ready to meet every need which we have. You hear me? Every need which we have. How do I know that? The Bible says so. Matthew 7, 7, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Again, the word of God says in Luke 18, 1, and he spake a parable unto them that is in, that men are always to pray and not the faint. Colossians 4, 2, continue in prayer. Hebrews 4, 16, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. James 5, 16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I'm telling you something tonight. God needs to awaken us of what God can do in our lives, how he can meet every need of our lives. But second of all, he needs to awaken us to the inconsistency of our living. Would you lie and look at verse uh, 12? In verse 12, the word of God says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Now stop right there. 
Let us cast off the works of darkness. Now, you know, child of God, you and I need to realize that sometimes we're very inconsistent in our living. Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, look at me. God wants my life conformed to Jesus Christ, not to the philosophy of the world, not to the music of the world, and not to the standards of the world. He wants my life conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And God wants the same for you. But why doesn't that happen? I'll tell you why. Because many of us, we take shortcuts on God Almighty. That's what we do. You know, when I was in high school, my life was consumed with sports, okay? That was my whole life. And um, I played uh, football in high school for, uh, in a large Christian, a large public school of 1,200 students. And, and uh, I had a wonderful coach. Really what I am physically is because of my coach, Jim Priester. A wonderful coach who really shaped me. Physically, this man put something in me I've never gotten over, okay? But he was a great coach. And one day, we were out scrimmaging. And I mean, it was hot, and we were all, I mean, exhausted. And then Coach Priester said this. He said, men, before you go home, back to your rooms, go down and get the shower and go home, I want you men, see that building out there in the field? We said, yes, sir. There's 130 of us. He said, man, I want you to run to the building. Listen to me. Touch the building. You must touch the building. When you do, then you can go down, take a shower, and go home. Is that clear? Everybody said yes. Well, we took off running. Well, my whole life was running, Okay. You know what I used to do? I used to put the boots on up to my knees and run in the gravel along the railroad tracks to build my legs up. I'd run the hills of West Virginia. I'd put my cousin on the bicycle, and I'd run him on the gravel along the road track mile after mile to build my legs up. I was consumed with this area of running. And so I took off running. And I was in at least 15 Yards ahead of everybody else. Whole team behind me. And I thought in my mind, I'm running like this, you know. I'm running and all of a sudden I thought, hey, there's no way that coach could ever know how I'm going to touch that building or not. And I'm not going to touch that building. And I got around probably five or ten feet from it. I just put my hand like this out and I made a big circle. And then I began to run back. When I ran back, Coach Priester said, hey, Sabinsky, come over here. And I said, Okay, and I walked over and put his hand on my shoulder pads. Start patting me on my shoulder pads. I said, you're going to brag on me now. My head began to swell. I had to take the, the helmet off, you know. It was so humble. And so the whole team ran back. He said, hey, men, gather around Savinsky and me. And the entire football team gathered around Coach Priester and me. And then I'll never forget this as long as I live. That coach looked at me took his finger like this, pointed his finger right in my face. He said, men, 
I want to tell you what, what Jerry just did. Jerry did not touch the building. Then he, he, said, he t- said to me, he said, you didn't touch the building, did you? I was shocked. I said, no, sir, I didn't touch the building. You see, I wasn't aware. He had an assistant coach hid in the woods with a walkie-talkie. Then <laughs> when I did not touch the building, he checked, he, he, he got on the walkie-talkie, and he said to Coach Priester, hey, Savinsky did not touch the building. And you could have heard a pin drop. And he said, so you didn't touch the building, did you? I said, no, sir, I didn't. And then he did this. I don't know why coaches do this, but they do this quite often, you know. They begin to do this, walk around like this. And so he said, men, because of Jerry Savinsky, the entire team has to run back and touch the building. And I guarantee you I outran them that time. They'd have killed me if they caught me. When I got to that building, I found the building and on that bunny and I ran back. I was so embarrassed. The most embarrassing moment in my life is when that coach pointed me out. Now, I can't point you out tonight, friend. God knows you. But some of you have taken shortcuts on God. And you think you can get by with it, huh? Numbers 32, 23 says, and be sure your sin will find you out. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Genesis 16, 13, thou, God, seest me. God sees you, young lady. Young man, he knows your life. And I'm telling you something. He needs to awaken us of this inconsistent lifestyle. But third of all, look back at verse 12, let apart. And put on the armor of light. Third of all, there's a need. Of realizing and being awakened of our ineffectiveness in our witnessing. And put on the armor of light. You know something, congregation, tonight. When I got saved, I had no chance in going to college. No Savinsky had ever gone to college. And I'm not, I'm not being pious when I tell you this. I was the dumbest of them all, okay? Never studied in high school. I left. If I could make a D, and if I could make a D, I could play football, I could play baseball, and all that. My whole goal one, as, a, as a student in high school, make a D. That's it. Never studied, okay? Make a D. And so my whole life was uh, uh, consumed with uh, sports. And so, you know, um, being like that as a, as a young man and not studying everything else, I had no chance in going to college. And so um, uh, I worked for the Fairmont Times newspaper company in West Virginia. I was a typist. The problem is a lot of you kids don't even know what a typewriter is, except a manual typewriter. Now, what is that? Well, a manual typewriter is you type and you had to hit and knock the cage back and start typing again and wham like that. Well, uh, there, there's a position opened for a, for a uh, typist at the newspaper, and my mom saw the advertisement. And mother said, Jerry, you ought to go take that test. 
You know why she said that? I was the fastest typist in the high school. I used to get 112 words per minute on a manual typewriter. Fastest, I was the fastest typist. I was the fastest runner. I was the fastest eater. Yeah, fastest eater. Everything I do, fast, all right? And my mother hounded me, hounded me, go take that. And you know how moms are. And just get mom off my back. I said, okay, mom, I'll go take the test. I hadn't typed now for over three or four months. And so I sat down, and I'm competing with 35 female secretaries. <laughs> 35. Well, I sat down, and here I'm working in the ground, you know, being a West Virginian, you know, working for a tree company, hadn't touched the the typewriter for three months, so I sat down the typewriter, and I started typing. And I mean, I could not believe it. My fingers were just as, as limber, and I just flew across those keys. Well, I thought, well, when I got through, uh, the man said, no, his name is Charlie. He's in Algeria. Uh, there's this other lady who's going to take it too, so we'll let you know in a week who gets the job. This is short. I didn't think I'd had any chance with those ladies. And so I'm back working. I'm coming home with my nice old truck I had. Man, happy as a jaybird, man, whistling, singing. And uh, my mother is on, on the front porch waiting for me. And oh, my lens, I, I get the car. And my mother said, You got a phone call. So I go in the house, and here it's Charlie. Jerry, this is Charlie from the front of my time. I said, yes. He said, you got the job. I said, what? <laughs> yeah, you got the job. I couldn't believe it. So I start typing. Typing eight hours a day. Well, when I was typing... There's a man in my church who was a coal miner named Dot Summers, a great man of God, a great soul winner, coal miner, a boss in the coal mines. And one day he walks up to me and he says, Jerry, I'd like to have you go soul winning with me. I said, okay, I'll go with you. I said, on one condition. What's that? Long as I don't have to say one word, I'll go. You know, they were telling me to run for office in high school. I wouldn't do it. I could not stand in front of people. I couldn't speak in front of people. So no, I said, I won't, I'll go on condition. If I can just watch you and not say one word, I'll go. He said, you don't say anything. So I went with Brother Summers, and I stood there and saw this man deal with hardened coal miners and saw them come to Christ. I saw, I mean, hardened men saved. And that did something to me. That stirred me to see the power of God do that. And so one night, uh, I was out soul winning, and uh, I said, hey, Dot. He said, yeah, Jerry. I said, can I take the next house? He said, you want to do that? I said, I'd like to try. He said, go ahead. Knocked on the door. Lady answered, and I'm going I'm to do exactly as it happened, okay? I knocked on the door. This lady opened the door, and I said, My name is Jerry Savinsky. This is the Dot Summers from Thunder's Baptist Chapel. You'd have thought I was speaking in tongues. I mean, 
You don't understand the, understand the word. I, and she looked at me like I'm a nut or anything else, you know, like that. Well, I kept working on it and working on it and working on it until finally I could present the gospel. And God so moved me when I saw what he was doing that one day I said to Dot, I said, Dot, would you be willing to go soul winning every day with me for a whole week? He said, yeah, I'll do that, Jerry. And so every day, Dot Summers and I would go soul winning all day long when he got from work. And um, I'll never forget one night, I think it was like Thursday night, we're out soul winning and, and we're going back to, the, back to his house and we're going down the road and we're through. But I saw a house on the right side of the road and I, I screamed at Dot and I said, hey Dot, stop your car right now. What? I said, stop the car please. He said, okay. He pulled the car over. He said, what's wrong? I said, I, I, I think we ought to go and talk today that there's people in this house right there. It seemed like God's burdened me for us to stop there and see, see those people. Okay. So we go and knock on the door. I knock on the door. Lady answered. I said, ma'am, my name is Jerry. This is Dot. We're from the Fellowship Baptist Church. And she said, oh, no. Oh, no. I can't believe you're here. I said, why'd you say that, ma'am? She said, because I've been contemplating committing suicide all day long. She had the suicide note written already, had the glass of poison already poured, and she said these exact words, when you knocked on the door, you startled me. And when you said you were from a Baptist church, I knew God sent you. And I led that lady to Jesus Christ. And then, when I led her to Christ, these are the exact words I prayed to God. Exact words. I said, dear God, if that lady right there was ready to commit suicide, and you use me to win her to Christ. I said, Lord, there must be people all across America waiting for someone to come and tell them about Jesus Christ. And Lord... I'm willing to be that man. And I'm in your pulpit tonight because I paid a small cost and went soul winning every night and saw Mrs. Mildred Clawson come to Christ, her husband Tom Clawson come to Christ, and the great host of her family came to Christ. You know why? Because I paid the cost. Remember, when the disciples says. Why were we so ineffective? Why couldn't we help this man? Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, How be it, this kind goeth not out but prayer and fasting until you are willing to pay the cost to let God use you to win souls to Christ. You'll never see God do those things which I just told you about. If you are here without Christ as your Savior, you know something? Your great awakening is when you realize your need of Christ. I was preaching to a large youth camp, and um, 
At the close of the service all over, and I'm standing there talking like this, and I, I have someone tap me on the shoulder like this. And I turn around, and it was my son, Scott, my youngest son. He said, Dad, can I talk with you? I said, sure, son, what is it? He said, Dad, I'm not saved. I said, what? He said, I'm not saved, Dad. I said, hey, Scott, remember Dad? Dad here? Dad to the Bible? You know, you're small and I led you to Jesus Christ? Yeah, I could have, you know, I could have said that to him. I didn't say that to him. By the way, I've known men saved at the age of five who are still pastoring. Saved at the age of five and are preaching. Called into ministry later on in life. You know, God, all children do not mature at the same rate. But my son, he made a profession. He said, Dad, I don't recollect anything it's bothered me for years. I, I wanted to get saved. He was, I think, 16 at the time. I took the word of God and led my son to Christ. We got home that summer. My son, on his own, walked down the aisle, came to our pastor. And the pastor said, Scott, I'd like to tell you something as a congregation. My son turned and said, I want to tell you something. A couple weeks ago, my dad led me to Jesus Christ. He said, I wish you people know I'm saved. You know what? I thank God for a young son who had the courage and the boldness to admit he was lost and knew to Christ as his Savior. And the night I would say this to you, I would never question or cause you to doubt your salvation, but I would say this to you. You know your heart. You may have made a profession, but you never accepted really where it became a possession where God completely changed and saved your life. And if that's the case, I pray you come to Christ tonight and let him save you. Let's bow our heads, please. In a moment, we're going to have them. We're going to have my brother played this pianist for us. He's going to play one of my favorite songs, and I've asked him to do that because it's my favorite song. Before he does, though, I'm going to say this to you. You know, young people, you college students, and you as adults, I, I do not know how God, what God's doing in your life and what area that I preached about is what God has been dealing with about. But you say, Brother Jerry, what you preach is what I need. I've got a spiritual callous over my heart, in my prayer life, my living, and the Lord knows. Over my heart, I have no desire of telling people about Christ. I'm not willing to pay the cost. I needed this message. Don't raise your hand, please. You respond in a moment. I'll give the opportunity to respond. You can come down here and kneel at this altar. I'll give you plenty of time to be here. Then go back where you're seated. Also, if you're unsaved, why don't you come to Dr. Anderson? These men of God here in front. Let someone take the Bible and point you to Christ. Get it settled. What will people think? As my son, people said, my son said, uh, what will people think 
I thought, but then I said, Dad, who cares what people think? I need to get saved. So you come if you need to be saved. Dear Father, now lead by your blessed spirit as we give the invitation and help folks respond with a tender heart to you. And God, see you do great things because of the response in their heart to you and help those who are not saved to come to Christ. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please. He bids you respond to him. Would you respond to him? He's waiting for you to respond to his loving kindness towards you. Would you respond? If you want to have someone come with you, ask them, would you go with me? They're glad to come with you. Would you come? Play one more stanza. Okay, would you all look this way, please? I trust that uh, the Lord will take what you've heard. and Just don't be hearers of the word, but doers of it. And I pray that it'll, you'll be used of God in a great way in your lives. I want to say to you that I pray tonight that as you go home, that uh, you'll pray that God will just continue leading. I never try, never will ever try to con you people in responding to Christ. Or manipulate you as a Christian coming down this aisle. But I'll give it to you straight. I guarantee you that. I'll give you the word. Okay? I trust lovingly. You know? And every time I smack you across the face with the word of God, you'll say, thank you, Brother Jerry. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you'll, you'll, you'll be blessed by these meetings, and God will deepen your walk with him. 